0: If you have your Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 15, we'll be in verses 1 through 8 today. Teenagers, I'm missing you in the front row here, like last week. I need, I want my teenagers right here. You want me to come back there, is that what you said? Yeah, you're always welcome, front row. No spit wads though, okay. John 15, 1 to 8, uh, as Jesus ate his last meal with his disciples, he told them what he wanted them to do when he ascended back to heaven. He tells the disciples, follow the example that I have given to you, and, and tell the world what I've told you. You don't have to come up with a new message, just tell the world what I've told you. Sometimes we need to remember that, that. worry about what to say to people. You're not, you don't have to create a message. You're just the messenger. You just say what Jesus said. Tell the world, he says, tell the world that I am the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Tell the world they can have peace with God. If they turn away from their sin and turn to me. Jesus says to the disciples, as you're taking this gospel, this good news to the world, I want you to pray to me and I want you to ask me to do great things to advance my kingdom and I will do it when it's in alignment with my will for you and for this world. And he says, as you do life together as a church, I want you to treat one another the way that I've treated you. I want you to serve one another. I want you to humbly consider each other more significant than yourself. I want you to love one another. I want you to, I want you to be kind to non believers who, who don't believe what you believe. I want you to be kind to them as you tell them who I am and what I've done. And then Jesus explains to the disciples how uh, they're, they're going to be able to do this. He uses the analogy of a vine. And it's branches and a gardener to teach them that as long as they are connected to him, he would give them the power, his power to do his will. And so last week we looked at the first part of that analogy. And today we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. So, so if you got your word, we're going to be in John 15, 1 to 8. If you don't have a Bible, please let me know after the service or uh, one of the other leaders around here or somebody at the information table. We'd love to tell you where you can get a good Bible for yourself. Uh, we're going to read this in a moment. Let's ask Jesus to help us. Lord, we uh, thank you for this word that you've given us today. And we don't want to approach it like we approach any other book not that we have to pray every time we open your word, God, but we know that we need your help. And so we ask you to help us. You say that you are the true vine. You are the true source of life. You're the true savior. You're the one true God. And so as we read your word today, we're reading the truth. And we ask that you would do what you've promised to do, that you would help us and teach us by your Holy Spirit. Would you please work on our hearts right now? Awaken us to you. Encourage us with your word. Convict us of our sin, God. Show us your way. Show us your glory. Use your word to bring dead souls to life, God. Just pray that you would give us attentiveness now. and Lord, please protect us from Satan. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so let's begin by uh, reading the first three verses of John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So in verse one, Jesus says that he is the true vine. He's the true God. Remember we talked last week about how there are a lot of vines in this world that claim to be the true vine, but they're fake vines. They're not true sources of eternal life for us. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm the true source of eternal life. I'm the true source of divine power And freedom. And and this is just one of many times where Jesus claims to be the one and only Savior of humanity. And he doesn't say this because he's arrogant, he says this because it's true. And Jesus loves us and he wants us to know the truth about the world and about the universe we live in. And so Jesus doesn't want us to think that he is one of many paths that lead to God because that's not the truth, he says. Jesus says over and over again that he is the way. He's the only way to God. And friendship with God is possible only through Jesus. And at the same time, his offer of salvation isn't just to one group of people. Jesus came to earth to purchase his church on the cross. And his church is made up of people from all nations, the Bible says, and all races and all languages and social classes. So, so, the gospel is preached to all, but Jesus says salvation is only available through it, through this gospel of Him. So, He says, He is the true vine, and the vine dresser or the gardener is God the Father, and the branches of the vine are all the people who claim to follow Jesus. And we talked about last week, some of the branches connected to Jesus really do belong to him, and some of the branches don't. The branches that do belong to Jesus have his life flowing in them and through them, and as a result, they produce his fruit. And God the gardener prunes these branches so that they can produce more of God's fruit. But the branches that don't belong to Jesus are connected to him in appearance only, but since they don't truly have his life flowing through them, they don't produce his fruit. And the gardener eventually cuts off these branches, and it says he takes them away from the vine and from the fruitful branches. And now in verse 3, Jesus tells the disciples Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Look at those first four words already you are clean. Now in the original language here, because I was thinking about this, why in the world does he, he's talking about pruning and then he talks about clean all of a sudden. Well, I read that in the original language, Jesus is doing a play on words here because the word for clean is really similar to the word prune. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, you are already pruned. You're already a clean branch. Now, that did not really help. <clears throat> why in the world then does Jesus first tell the disciples that God is going to prune them, and then he tells them that they're already pruned? Well, to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to look at why he says the disciples are clean. In verse 3, Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So they're already clean because of the word Jesus has spoken to them. So, what is this word? What is this word that He's spoken to them that He uh, that that has cleaned them? Well, in short, it is the gospel. It is the message that He's been sharing with them for three years of God's salvation and and of His forgiveness in Christ that that Jesus has been telling them about. And think about this: if you look just at John three, you'll uh, You'll see that Jesus has already said that he is God the Son sent by God the Father to the world to die for sin so that whoever trusts in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. You might see that on TV at some football games today, okay? John 3:16. That is the heart of the gospel of Jesus. And God cleans whoever hears this message And then responds to the message by believing it. By believing it. If a person wants to approach God, then he or she must be spiritually clean. A person cannot be dirty with sin and guilt and come into God's presence. Anybody read through the Old Testament recently? Man, man. Or parts of it. I'm reading through Leviticus right now, and it's like, wow, God is serious about being clean and pure. God is holy and pure, and he, the, he is the one who's totally spotless and totally sinless, and He cannot have sin and sinful, dirty people in His presence. Their sin must be washed off of them, they must be cleaned. And we are incapable of cleaning ourselves. But God can clean us, and he offers to make us clean through his gospel. But how, exact, how exactly does this happen? How does the gospel clean us? How does God make anybody clean? Well, we see from, from early on in Genesis forward, God makes people clean through blood. And not just any Blood. It's very specific about the type of blood that cleanses. It must be, in the Old Testament, the blood of a spotless animal, and it must be from one of the animals listed in a book like Leviticus, where you'll see that. And that's why God put the sacrificial system in place in the Old Testament, to purify people from sin, to to wash them clean, so that the result is they could approach God. They could come into the tabernacle. They could come into his presence, and God graciously wants us to have a relationship with Him, but He says the filth of our sins separates us. We cannot approach God while we are unclean. And the message of Jesus, which you see in the first chapter of John, is that He is the perfect Lamb of God, who voluntarily put Himself on the altar for us, who sacrificed Himself on our behalf who shed his perfect blood to purify sinners so that they can be reconciled to God. Jesus is the son of God, he says, who left heaven and came to earth, who took on human flesh. He lived a perfect, spotless life that no other person has ever lived or could ever live. What that means is, Jesus, you look at, read the Old Testament, count the commands, Jesus perfectly obeyed and fulfilled all of them perfectly. Never broke any of them. Perfectly fulfilled them. And when Jesus, in his spotless perfection, died on the cross, he was the most faultless sacrifice ever. He, because he was on the cross, he was God on the cross. And his death was the last sacrifice necessary in the sacrificial system for all who trust him. If you don't trust in Jesus, what's your sacrifice? What's covering you? What's purifying you before a holy God? How do you plan to get to God? How do you walk into God's presence? Only if you have a made-up idea of God, that he's this buddy God at your level, that you, that you can just say, hey, what's up? I need a help, I need a favor. It's not how God presents himself. He's holy. Nobody just walks up to God. You must be clean. And Jesus is the only one who can make you clean. And his sacrifice on the cross was an everlasting sacrifice. Because in God's eyes, in God the Father's eyes, Jesus' blood Purifies his church and everybody who belongs to them. It purifies us of all of our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. Amen? Wow. So that means that whoever trusts in Jesus' work on the cross is now covered by his blood in the spiritual realm. You're hidden in his blood. When God looks at you, he sees the perfect blood of Jesus. But whoever does not trust in Jesus' work on the cross is not covered by his blood. The filth of their sin remains. Their filth continues to be the grounds by which Satan accuses them in God's sight. Their filth is the legal grounds by which they're condemned to suffer God's eternal wrath. And their filth makes them eternally unclean. And when we say them... This isn't an us and them, like we're better than them. This, is, this was all of us before Christ saved any of us. If only we'll turn to Jesus, we can be clean, he says, and he will gladly clean us with the blood that he shed for us when we trust in him. And so here in verse three, Jesus tells us that even though God will prune us in this life, we are already spiritually pruned if we've trusted In the gospel of Jesus. And God the Father prunes and disciplines and cleans his children in this life, get this, for the purpose of shaping us into people who look more like who we truly are in the spiritual realms. You get that? Jesus wants us to become in this life who he's already made us into in God's eyes. This is why Jesus gives us instructions on how to live. Jesus tells us to be holy. And the Father prunes us in order to make us more holy because Jesus has already made us holy in God's sight. See that? Jesus tells us to be free from sin and the Father prunes us by cutting away sin from our lives because Jesus has already freed us from sin eternally. Jesus tells us to bear his fruit, and the Father prunes us so that we can bear his fruit because Jesus has already filled us with his fruit-bearing life that bears God's glory in the spiritual realms. In our lives on earth, Jesus is shaping us to look like who he's already made us into spiritually in God's sight. Holy, righteous, loved, joyful, forgiven, and free. So what that means is we cannot believe the lies of the world that tell us who we should be or who we are about our identity. We can't believe the accusations of Satan who is the accuser, the slanderer, who says that you're not valuable, who says there is no hope for a person like you. Don't believe the lies of this world that you have to do this or accomplish that or have this and that and that in order to be valuable. You don't need the world's approval. You don't need your friend's approval. You don't need Satan's approval. What you do need is God's approval, and that's what you have in Jesus. Because with his perfect blood, Jesus makes all who trust in him clean in God's sight. This is what Jesus means when he says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now having told us how his blood brings us to God, Jesus now tells us how to live out the blessings of God's nearness, his nearness in our lives. He says in John 15, four to five, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So if we want to bear God's fruit in our lives, if we want to bear much fruit, In our lives, if we want to do what branches were created to do, then we have to abide in Jesus. That's what Jesus says. We have to abide in him. And as we abide in Jesus, he says that he abides in us. So it is what you could call a mutual indwelling. Okay, Uh, We dwell in Jesus and he dwells in us. Just like he says that he dwells in the Father and the Father dwells in him. And so also, Jesus is the vine. We are his branches. And eternal life originates in him and flows into us and flows back and forth between him and us. Because we're united to him. Abide. So what what does that word mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Jesus already said that he was going to heaven to prepare a place for his children and he's already promised to live inside of his children and so why does he now command us to live in him, to abide in him? Some of your translations probably use the word remain. To abide in Jesus means to remain in Jesus, to stay in Jesus, to dwell, to live in Jesus And again, the idea is that in the spiritual realm, we are already united to Jesus if we're Christians, okay? Jesus is already our dwelling place in the spiritual realm. So Jesus is telling us to live out in our lives on earth what's already true of us spiritually. That we are spiritually totally united to Jesus. He is our home We can go nowhere without him, and we can do nothing without him. So true branches, fruitful branches, true Christians will live increasingly more dependent on Jesus alone for everything. Jesus' blood brought you to God so that you can approach God confidently. So approach God confidently and often. Jesus' blood brought you to God so that you can have God's power in your life. So rely, depend on God's power in your life. J.C. Ryle said, to abide in Jesus means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with Jesus. To be always leaning on Jesus, resting on Jesus, pouring out your hearts to Jesus. Jesus and using Jesus as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. What this means is there's a difference, obviously, between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a difference between believing that Jesus died so that people could be with God, and actually being with God. There's a difference between knowing that Jesus did this And actually taking him up on his offer to do that. How awesome, think about this. How awesome Jesus is, who is the God of the universe, that he doesn't say this. You know, I'm happy to save you, but I'm actually a really busy guy. Um, I'd love to set up a time to meet with you. I got about 5 billion other people who want a piece of me too. And so if you just take a number, maybe in a decade or so, we could set up a time for some coffee, and and I could give you a minute or two of my time. That's not what Jesus offers. That's not the kind of relationship he offers us. He is not finite like you and me. He is infinite. He can do things you and I can't. I mean, we can't even fathom how in the world could Jesus be with 5 billion people at one time and intimately. I mean, we're, we're finite. Our minds can't get around this. But he is not limited by our limitations. He is infinite. And he gives us 24-7 nonstop access to himself, and he invites us to constantly hang out with him. It can be very beneficial, yes, to, to have a daily quiet time. I, I encourage you where you read some scripture and talk to God, but don't limit Jesus to those 15 minutes of your day. 30 minutes or an hour, whatever it is. You and I need Jesus. What he's saying here is we need him all day long, okay? We can do nothing, he says, of eternal worth apart from him. So that means he invites us to pray to him throughout the day, to talk to him. Carry your Bible with you or on your phone or whatever with you throughout the day. Read your Bible. Write, Write down... Some verses as you're reading the Bible. Man, I like that one. I would like to memorize that one so I can hide that in my heart and have it. Listen to music filled with scripture. It doesn't have to be the only music you listen to, but listen to music filled with scripture. How awesome is it when you find great music but also that you enjoy, but also you're singing the words of God. <laughs> now hang out with people. Surround yourself with people who remind you of your need for Jesus. Jesus doesn't want part of your day. He wants all of your day. He doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of your life. Not because he's needy, but because you and I are needy. We're the needy ones. And he knows it. And he knows we need him. He knows we can't do anything without him. And so he graciously offers himself to us 24-7. Abiding in Jesus doesn't mean worshiping God for 90 minutes on Sunday and then putting him on the back burner until next Sunday. It means that you get to enjoy a living friendship with God from morning till night and in the middle of the night when you wake up, seven days a week. That's what Jesus offers. This is awesome. In John 17, Jesus says that he defines eternal life. What exactly is eternal life? He says this, eternal life is knowing the true God. Knowing Jesus Christ. Eternal life is knowing, enjoying friendship with the God-man, Jesus Christ. <laughs> this, is, this is what we gotta ask ourselves. I was thinking about this week. Do we live like we want to know Jesus? Does friendship with God even matter to us? Like besides just getting into he- to heaven, right? Does, is this God... Somebody we want. Does fellowship with God, does being with God energize us? See, I think that would be an evidence. I'm not talking about having out of the park, like home run quiet times every day, right? But I'm talking about if I'm a fruit and Jesus is the vine, or sorry, if I'm a a branch and Jesus is the vine, does this, do I get energized by the life of Jesus coming into me? Do I, moving into me and working with power Does obedience to God appeal to me at all? Do I want to bear fruit in my life, God's fruit, so that he gets the glory for it? Does that excite me? I don't know about you, but if I were in heaven right now and Jesus wanted to be with me all the time, then I wouldn't invite him over for dinner just once a week. I don't want him by my side all day. I'd want to follow him wherever he went. I'd want to hear whatever he was saying. I want to do whatever he was doing. Guys, that's what heaven is. It's being with Jesus. And so why don't I live my life on earth this way? Is it only because I can't see Jesus? Is that mainly it? Or is it maybe I don't really believe he's there? I don't know about you, but I want to take Jesus up on his offer to abide in him. I want to be with him all the time. I want to consciously be aware of this. I want to talk to him all the time. I want to hear his word all the time. I want to worship him all the time. I want to enjoy him all the time. That's the desire of my heart. And I'm thankful for this, that even when I don't acknowledge Jesus' presence in my life, when I'm not constantly thinking about Jesus, he doesn't gather his stuff and move out of my life. He is more faithful to us than we are to him. And he promises us that he holds on to us. What does he say? No one can snatch my sheep from my hand. Man, but oh, the joy. Think about this. The joy we will experience and the fruit we will bear if we do abide in Jesus more. That's reality. We abide in Jesus when we listen to him speak in Scripture because it's his word. All of the Bible is breathed out by Jesus. We abide in Jesus when we talk to him and when we thank him and when we confess our sins to him and celebrate that he's purified us from all unrighteousness and when we ask him to do great things in our lives for his glory because we know, God, I cannot do any of this on my own. I'm abiding in you, I'm trusting him, depending on you alone. We abide in Jesus when we trust him, when we really are... Exercising faith in Him when we trust Him to be everything that we need. We abide in Jesus when we love God and when we love others the way that He describes in the Bible. We abide in Jesus when we worship Him with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds and all of our strength, whether we're singing songs to Him or whether we're teaching kids or whether we're changing diapers or whether we're hammering nails or going over papers or helping our neighbors. what it means to abide in Jesus. And the branches that truly belong to the vine produce fruit because they abide in the vine. Disciples that truly belong to Jesus produce his fruit because those disciples abide in Jesus. Notice that in both verse 4 and verse 5 Jesus says that you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in Jesus. This isn't, your fruit's not gonna be as good. You're gonna grow small fruit. He says, you cannot do anything. (laughs) So if you're not increasingly abiding in Jesus, then you are a fruitless branch that will be taken away from Jesus. But hear this right. It is not the fruit that saves you. And it is not the quality of your abiding in Jesus that saves you. It is Jesus that saves you. It is the fact that you are united to Jesus, the vine, through faith that saves you. And the fact that you bear his fruit and the fact that you abide in him are merely evidences that you truly do belong to him. And then Jesus says that not only can't you bear his fruit if you don't belong to him, he says you can't do anything apart from him. In verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in one sense, this applies to all people. Regardless of what their religious beliefs are, nobody can do anything without Jesus. How exactly did your body come together out of the dust and begin to be a living being? Who created your cells and organized your cells and put them in perfect order to create your body? I, I read this this week online. Imagine, this is incredible. Imagine typing on a piece of paper as many letters as you could fit on it. Okay, here's part of my sermon. But as many letters as you could fit on this thing. We'll just go with, you know, Times New Roman, size 12. um, That uh, you can fit on this. Now, now imagine a stack of pages like that. Well, let's say a foot high. A foot high. That's a lot of pieces of paper. That's a lot of letters now imagine a stack of pages with type letters like that 300 feet tall that's how much information is stored in the DNA inside every human cell (laughs) think about that and if just one of those letters was misplaced then you would not be you chance did not make you God did You can't breathe without God. We can't think without God. What's making your brain work right now? What's making your heart beat? You can't walk without him. You can't write without him. You can't play sports without him. You can't drive without him. Your phone will not turn on without him. The lights don't turn on without God. The world does not hold together without him. What makes the world stay on this this axis or if it goes either way, a minuscule amount, we either burn up or freeze. Everything holds together through Christ. And everything that you have belongs to him. And James 1.17 says, every good gift in your life, every perfect gift is from above. And none of us can do anything without this common grace that God gives to everybody. Everybody. Now, specifically for Christians whose life God has redeemed so that we can know him and be like him and do things of true spiritual significance in this world, he says the same thing. You can do nothing without me. That means you can't trust God without Jesus. You can't love other people without Jesus. You can't share the gospel without him. No one will be saved unless the Holy Spirit gives sight to the spiritually blind. No one will see on their own. We can't give our money joyfully to Jesus unless Jesus is in us. Why would we want to? (laughs) We can't have peace with God or in our hearts without Jesus. We can't say no to our flesh and to this world without the spirit of Jesus working in us. Anything and everything that we say, think, or speak that glorifies God in any way is only because he is abiding in us and we are abiding in him. And ultimately what that means is this, that God gets the credit and God gets the glory for every good thing we do. (laughs) If we say something that helps a person love Jesus more, it's only because Jesus is abiding in us. If we do something that helps build God's kingdom, it's only because Jesus abides in us and gives us the the desire to want to build God's kingdom. And then Jesus gives us the power to actually do things that build God's kingdom. It's not that we create incredible ideas and then we make them happen. It's all Jesus. Jesus if we enjoy helping hurting people, if we enjoy seeing hurting people cared for physically and spiritually with the love of Jesus, and this church does, it's only because Jesus has filled us with his love first. The branch does not produce fruit because it is a remarkable branch. The branch produces fruit because it has the remarkable life of the true vine flowing through it. That's why we give Jesus credit for all the evidences of grace we see in our lives because we are not remarkable branches. We are indwelt by a remarkable God. Now in verses 6 to 8, Jesus describes three consequences. In verse 6, he tells us about the consequence for those who don't abide in him. And in verses 7 to 8, Jesus describes the consequences for those who do abide in him. Let's look at verse 6 first. Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. My guess is for people who say they like the Jesus, they like Jesus's teachings, but they they don't really believe he's God. This isn't one of the teachings they like. Um, If you're going to pick and choose what you like from certain world religions, this probably isn't going to make your list. Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So he's already said that God will take away from Jesus all branches that don't bear his fruit. So what this means is, right, in the analogy, God will take away from Jesus all people who claim to be Jesus' disciples but who show by their lives that they obviously are not. And the evidence that they are fake branches is that they don't bear Jesus' fruit and they don't abide in Jesus. And now Jesus says what happens to the fruitless branches. These branches are thrown away. They wither. And then... The gardener, God the Father, gathers the withered branches and throws them into the fire where they are burned. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, cite Jesus as describing hell as a place of eternal fire. So it's not an Old Testament concept alone. So this whole argument that Jesus is nice and the Old Testament God is mean doesn't work. Jesus is the one who describes hell as a place of fire. This is the place Jesus suffered God's wrath for so that we wouldn't have to go to. It's the place reserved for those who do not submit to him. And so the image of the branches being gathered and thrown into the fire is the description of what happens to everybody who rejects Jesus' offer to be covered by his blood and to abide in him. if you're not trusting in Jesus, then this fire is is waiting for you as soon as your life on earth is over. And that could be today. According to Hebrews 9, 27, every human being lives on earth once and dies once. There's not a reincarnation. There's not a second chance. After that death, he or she either lives in Jesus or is thrown into the fire. what does that mean? It means trust in Jesus now. (laughs) Come under the protection of his blood now. Believe him. Believe that he's the one true God, the only Savior who can save you, who offers you peace with God, who offers to make you pure. Pray to Jesus right now and ask him to save you. You don't have to get your life right. You hear that? You don't have to get your life right for Jesus to save you. You just need to fall at his feet and ask him to save you. Ask him to rescue you from your sin. Man, the way we think we will be satisfied in this world just leads to the grave. (laughs) We need to turn to Jesus in faith. And if we do that, if you do that today, man, don't hide it. Talk to me or another Christian here and tell them, we're trusting in Jesus today. That's a huge deal. It's the biggest decision you will ever make in your life. we got some baptisms coming up soon here, and I'm excited about that. So be baptized. Jesus said be baptized. Not to be saved, but to celebrate that he has united you to himself. He's cleansed you by his blood. He's made you into a branch that is filled with his life. Man, talk to me more after the service if you want to be baptized. Now in verses 7 to 8, Jesus describes the positive consequences of abiding in him. In verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So twice in this passage, Jesus mentions the necessity of having his words abide in us. And next week, we, we're gonna look more closely at what that means, to have his words abide in us. But the main thing we should see here today is that if we're abiding in Jesus, then Jesus tells us to ask whatever we wish and it will be done for us. He's not Aladdin, though, okay? Or what, what's that movie, Aladdin and the Genie? It's Aladdin. You guys know what I'm talking about. He's not Robin Williams, the guy who makes anything happen. If you missed my sermon on John 14, 12 to 14, I encourage you to go on our website because that's what I talk about, or to iTunes, you can access it there, because in that sermon we talk about what it means to ask God for whatever we want in this context, okay, and in short, in this context, in this upper room in Jerusalem, Jesus is encouraging the disciples to ask him in prayer to do great things for his glory as they take the gospel to the world. That means that as Christians, we're not just thinking about ourselves. It means that we, it's okay to pray for ourselves. It's good, we should. But also it means we wanna help people see Jesus for who he really is. We wanna wanna help them see and enjoy Jesus for who he really is. And we wanna do whatever Jesus wants us to do to make that happen. We can't make people see, but we want to be part of that mission of praying for people and telling them the gospel. And so we pray that Jesus would do great things in our lives and in our church and in our world that align with his character and with his will. And he says he'll do it. We do know this, contrary to what you'll hear on certain channels, it is not Jesus' will for all of us to have lots of money in this life or to be healed from every disease in this life or to own everything we think will satisfy us most in this life. Instead, it is Jesus's desire, a greater desire, a better desire for you to give you everything that you do really need and that really will satisfy you most. And that everything is Jesus himself. So even though in this life on earth we we may not have lots of money, we may not be healed from every disease, We may not have every situation turn out the way we want it to, but Jesus still gives us what we really need most, himself. He gives us life in himself. He gives us joy in himself. He gives us peace in himself. He gives us freedom in himself. And so we ask God to do great things that will bring him the most glory according to his sovereign wisdom and will. And now in verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So the result of truly being united to Jesus and bearing his fruit is that God is glorified. The, The result of abiding in Jesus because you are saved is that God is glorified. The result of bearing much fruit is that God is glorified. And that is the end goal. That is the goal of our lives. That's the goal of our families. That's the goal of our church. It's the goal of this world and of the universe to glorify God, to recognize God for who He really is in His exclusive holiness and beauty and righteousness and goodness and love and justice and truth, and to celebrate Him and to lift Him high and to worship Him for who He is as the one true God of the universe who is now our savior and friend because that's his will. <laughs> this week, let's abide in Jesus. Let's read his word some. I'm preaching to myself. Instead of watching TV all the time, let's, let's turn it off. Let's have some times of abiding in Jesus. Let's turn off the radio in our cars and abide in, in him through prayer and talk to God. As we recognize our total need for Him, let's ask Him to do great things in our lives and in our church and in our town for His name's sake. We can turn off our cell phones for a few minutes and meditate on a Bible verse and internalize it, think about it, and and memorize it and internalize it. Let it change our hearts and our minds. And whatever fellowship you're in this week, let's encourage one another to abide in Jesus. And to savor his presence in our lives, let's savor Jesus' perfect life that fulfills the law for us. His substitutionary death that he died for us, and his resurrection and his life, which is the power to save us from the fire. He is holy. And he is unapproachable in our flesh. But by his blood he has made us his children who are pure and clean and he's brought us to God. So let's be with God this week with our thoughts and in our hearts with our words and in our bodies and believe that apart from him we can do nothing. Let's pray. Lord, we are helpless on our own and we are dirty on our own. We're dirty with sin and you dwell in glory that we can't approach on our own. Your glory, God. And we thank you, God, for leaving heaven and coming to earth and entering the pigsty of our sin. perfectly following God's law which we can't follow because we're not we're sinful God and all this junk and filth God that's what you became on the cross for us you couldn't just clean it by wiping it away and pretending it wasn't there you had to become it and kill it so thank you for becoming our filth on the cross and for dying for it so that we would be pure forever And thank you for rising again, God, that you're alive. You're in control. You're coming back again. And until we see you face to face, we have a living God who we can talk to and spend time with and enjoy fellowship with and listen to and give all of our concerns to and know that you care and you've proved it. Thank you, God, for working in our lives. Humble us, Lord, those of us who believe and those of us who don't. Turn us to you, Jesus, now. We pray this in your name, Jesus, amen.